Everybody. This is Harriet Berholtz from Now Hear Me Out, and I am here with my dad, Randy Berholtz. And we're also here with the amazing June Cutter, who is running for state assembly. We are so happy to have you here today. June is an accomplished attorney and small business owner. She lives with her husband, Ryan, who is a former, well, obviously she lives with her husband. That's a dumb thing to say. Who's a former Navy flight officer, and she has two children who are seven and 10. June is a firm believer in the American dream. And she knows all about that because together her parents actually immigrated to the United States in the 1960s. And her father, remarkably, was a refugee actually from North Korea who crossed the 38th parallel as a young child to escape totalitarian government before the Korean War broke out. June literally is a testament to anybody who is willing to work hard. And she knows that they can achieve the middle class dream that everybody so wants from coming to America. June's greatly involved in her community. And it really began when she got involved with her local PTA, where she currently serves as the president. June's a firm believer that a great education is the key to opportunity and the door to the middle class for many people. To June, this means making sure that education dollars are spent in the classroom, empowering parents to hold schools accountable for results. And June's platform, she talks greatly about how she feels like the government in California currently is taking more and doing less, which is so true. There are broken roads. Homelessness is a huge issue. And California currently has one of the lowest performing school systems in the country. She's concerned her children won't be able to afford living here or if they will even want to when they grow up. And that's one of the many reasons for which she is running for uh, assembly. Well, June, welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the about yourself, your, your campaign and, and what assembly district is it again? And uh, so be listening now. Sure. I guess it kind of still takes me aback when somebody calls me a politician because I still don't think of myself as one. My husband and I moved to District 77, which is where I'm running, about 10 years ago. It encompasses Rancho Santa Fe, Rancho Bernardo, Poway, Scripps Ranch, Tierra Santa, um, Sorrento Valley, Carmel Valley, Mira Mesa, Rancho Pedesquitos, and Claremont. I think I got everything. It's a very large district. It's about 15% of San Diego County. Most of it is in the city of San Diego, other than Poway and unincorporated portions. Um, And we moved to San Diego and had two kids. My husband was in the Navy. That's what brought us down here. Eventually, I said, San Diego is amazing. I never want to leave. So you need to get out of the Navy. (laughs) And he was nice enough to do so. We moved to Del Sur about five years ago. And our daughter started going to elementary school at Del Sur Elementary. I became very involved at the school, started on the PTA doing communications. And I've been president for the last two years. It's been really great being part of the community. I'm also on the HOA at Del Sur. Oh, my God. So wait, wait, wait. (laughs) So so you're both the chair of the PTA plus you're on the HOA. I can't imagine two things harder than that. (laughs) It definitely prepared me for running for office, I guess. But I never really in my adult life ever imagined that I'd be running for public office. But like you said, our assemblymen switched parties in January of this year after coming very close to losing in the last election cycle. He only beat his opponent by 607 votes in a district where more than 200,000 votes were cast. There's a rumor going around that that one of the reasons that he switched was was so he could get a better office in the assembly. I mean, is that right? He was going to be in the bottom floor. <laughs> And he got a better office. Have you heard about that? Is that? I actually don't think that's true, but it's one of many rumors. Well, we get spread around anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of many rumors that are spread about him switching parties. I think a lot of it has to do with the political climate and him probably being concerned about his personal career trajectory. And when he switched, the timing was such that it just smelled dirty to me. And for the last four years or so, I've been involved in a group called the California Women's Leadership Association. And in 2019, I was elected to serve as the PAC chair for the CWLA PAC. That's awesome. And thanks. Is that a partisan organization or bipartisan? It is two parts. It is a nonpartisan organization that is a nonprofit on one side, but we also have a PAC, which is partisan and conservative leaning. And 
as PAC chairwoman when I heard that a Republican assemblyman who'd been established in San Diego politics for nearly two decades had switched and that the timing was funny and all of it just didn't seem right to me. I had some of my girlfriends come together and we talked about all being kind of upset as moms raising our kids in this district about being represented by an assemblyman who wasn't doing right by us. So we thought, well, who can we get behind to support to take him out in the next election cycle? And we kind of went through all the people we had supported in the past and all the people who were involved in San Diego politics. And we just couldn't come up with somebody who was a viable, electable candidate, registered Republican, and somebody who we thought was doing it for the right reasons. Like all we were. <laughs> They're here for the right reasons. <laughs> well, I was the only one who qualified for a rose. So we've always thought of you in that one. Yeah. <laughs> My girlfriends turned to me and said, Well, why don't you do it? And for some crazy reason, right on the spot, I said, Yeah, why That's don't awesome. I do it? I can totally take him out. And when <laughs> picture like a boxing match, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I love it. And when I said that I was gonna do it, I really didn't think about, wow, I'm jumping into politics, or what does this district really look like? And it just happened to be that I'm a military wife running in a district that's very heavily military and veteran based around Miramar. And I didn't think about the fact that I'm Asian American or the fact that District 77 is almost 30% American. Oh, wow. It's something that we've never really talked about before. And I'm not running as an Asian American candidate, because I found an Asian American district that yeah. happens to be <laughs> so convenient. <laughs> that just happens to be a coincidence. And, you know, it's a district that is made almost entirely of suburban families with educated, professional, working parents, school age children. We're all kind of facing the same struggles in a middle class yeah. working environment. And somebody who's been in the trenches yeah. side by side with the people of the district, raising our kids, running our businesses and understanding the concerns that we all face. I think that is really important to have somebody like that representing the community. And we haven't had that in a very long time. So like I said, don't really consider myself a politician. I consider myself a concerned member of the community who wants to serve my neighbors and my friends. Oh, cool. Cool. No, I love that. And and one thing that we kind of always tend to ask, and I, why not just ask this right off the bat, but why are you running as a Republican? Well, I am running as a Republican because I've been Republican since I was four years old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you speak to that history and how, you know, sure. I, I, I was a four-year-old kid. Yeah, so I know. Tell me, please. A four-year-old kid watches Family Ties and oh. has a mate <laughs> on Alex Keaton, and that is how she becomes a Republican. Okay. Here's a question. What was Alex P. Keaton's first word when he came out, when he started speaking? I don't know. Was it money? Money. Yes. <laughs> we used to have to watch that show because Harriet and her sister used to watch it all the time. <laughs> I love that show. I don't even remember. No. And I also grew up in very conservative Orange County. I grew up in Yorba Linda, birthplace of Richard Nixon. I carried a flag in the opening ceremonies of the Richard Nixon Library oh, and to see every living president. At that oh, time, so cool. I was 12. And really, I just remember always feeling very connected to the Republican Party. I think it was a sense of patriotism, of love for country, but also just common sense. And as the child of immigrants who were hardworking and basically built their American dream from scratch, it just made sense to be connected to a party of fiscal conservatism, of equal opportunity, of capitalism. All of those things are just core principal values I hold in my heart, and that'll never change. A lot of people ask me why I'm a Republican, and I say, you don't pick your party because you want to run for office. You pick your party by what is in your heart, what are your principles and your values and your morals and that should never change. So the whole party swapping thing. And do you hear that assemblyman mainshine? <laughs> that should never change. It what, your party should never change? Well, 
I don't know if I can say that. I switched parties. <laughs> I know. My party left me. That was the, <laughs> the Democratic, the conservative Democratic Party left me. So, so I don't think a Brian Manchin's party left him. <laughs> well, I think that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party do look a lot different than maybe when I was growing up. But fundamentally, that spirit of capitalism, of free market economy and limited government, that has not changed. And I think, you know, our chairwoman, Jessica Patterson, says it a lot, but our 80% friend is not our 20% enemy. And I truly believe that there are core principles of being a Republican that unite our party, despite, you know, the evolution and how things change. And that part of me will just never waver. No, I love that. And I was going to say, too, obviously, you've been very vocal. And then my dad's mentioned, too, about your breakup songs with Brian. And uh, you've been vocal, obviously, about being disappointed in the current administration in Sacramento, the career politicians who are more concerned with their, you know, cocktail parties and fancy trips, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Brian Mainshine, why specifically and how specifically do you feel like he's failed California since being in office? I think that he has failed us by not really being a part of our community when he went to Sacramento, not, like I said, being in the trenches with us and for caving into special interests, being what I would call a gun for hire. So he has always had a reputation of being pay to play. And I think that is one of the major problems we have in Sacramento. And he's a Sacramento guy. I mean, they call Washington, D.C. the swamp, but Sacramento is its own kind of swamp. And really, he has bought into the whole lifestyle up there. You meet with lobbyists and special interest groups and take their money and do them favors. If they ask you to stay silent, you stay silent. And I think that there's a real problem with politicians who are guided by their own self-interest, their own self-survival, rather than what's actually the right thing to do. And a lot of people are looking at California now and thinking that they don't like what they see. But the problem is deeply rooted in the fact that this is how we've been governed for decades. Can you tell um, our listeners a little bit about state legislature? So we've got the Senate and the Assembly. Can you maybe tell them a little bit as to how many years in the Assembly? What do Assembly people do? Right. So it's amazing since I've been running and telling my neighbors and my pediatrician (laughs) that I'm running for office, how many people say, okay, so what are you running for? I'm running for the assembly. What is that? Is the response I get more often than not. And I think maybe our schools need to do a better job at teaching civics, (laughs) but maybe that's a bill you you can (laughs) introduce when you get it. Yes. At the assembly, we should have a bill that teaches children in California what the assembly is. (laughs) No, we didn't learn this stuff. I mean, I took AP U.S. government and we really didn't cover a lot of this. So it's crazy. Right. Harry went to Chaparral. Elementary school in the Poway and Rancho Bernard School District. And so every year they took the fifth graders up to Sacramento. Right. And we went to the assembly and the Senate and they talked a little bit about it, but, you know. They still do that trip. (laughs) You chaperone, right? Twice. Yeah. Um, Well, so most states do it the same way. And it's a lot like the Senate and Congress or the House of Representatives in the federal government. But there's an upper house and a lower house in the state legislature. There are 80 assembly districts in the state of California. And that would be considered the lower house. And then there are 40 Senate districts in the state of California, which are actually bigger than congressional districts, I believe. And that is the upper house. And the assembly is voted on every two years, like Congress. And Senate is voted on every four years, like the Senate. And those 120 legislators are lawmakers up in Sacramento. And they pass bills, which ultimately go to the governor's desk for signature. And during that process, they have a lot of discussion and a lot of ideas come up and a lot of special interests come in and say what they would like to see done. And I think that the 2019 session saw more than 2000 bills go on every legislator's desk. Wow. I say one of the things right now, as you you know, and as I know, has at the state level, Right now is that the Democrats have a supermajority. 
So, right. so mega majority, mega majority right now. And one of the problems we find in California, and you're even finding even finding this with the uh, with the press right now. You uh, find well, because well, well, I, I think people from both parties are finding that it's good to have an opposition and an right. opposition that can get stuff done. If there's no opposition, the majority really controls. Well, I think that there is a problem with a supermajority or a mega majority because when one side can do whatever they want to do without even having to listen to an opposing voice, then the discourse and dialogue that are essential to a democracy is pushed to the wayside. When people's ideas aren't put in check, bad ideas get passed and Sometimes there is kind of this like tribal mentality between the Democrats and the Republicans. And one one tribe has taken over the whole entire Capitol building and does whatever it wants without being put in check. But that's a major problem. And one of my goals in running for this seat is really about changing how we do things in California altogether, meaning First, I want to win this seat back because I think the constituents in this district believe in fiscally conservative policies and care about cost of living and cost of housing and, you know, their taxes and regulations and roads and all of those things that are issues that need to be addressed for the benefit of this community by someone who has a vested interest in this community. So taking this seat back is very important to me in that regard. But it means something more to me as well. It means kind of, I like to say it's making Republican cool again. Um, <laughs> I, I, tries to say that's what I, I agree. We're trying to make this party. Cool. <laughs> but I think that we can do it. I just think that our messaging and messengers have been off yeah. and we need to kind of revive the Republican Party in California, and we need to kind of see who are we talking to and how are we going to get through to them. And for me, this seat is about breaking the supermajority in Sacramento. And I'm a total realist, and I don't think it's going to get done in one election cycle. It's not like we're going to wave a magic wand, I'm going to get this seat, and the supermajority is going to be broken. But I feel like as a seated legislator and Republican elected official, I will have the ability to do more to help other Republicans get elected in California with the right messaging and messengers and break that supermajority for the benefit of all Californians, regardless of party affiliation, because we do need to restore that discourse and dialogue back to our democracy because the way we're headed and we're headed there fast is we're just going to completely fall off the coast at this point because Things are going in a very bad direction, fiscally speaking, so quickly because they're just passing everything, everything they want without ever being put in check. No, for sure. I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I, I've talked to my dad about this too. I'm in marketing and e-commerce and all that kind of stuff. So I, what I've said to him for a really long time, from a marketing perspective, I feel like the branding for the Republican Party is very one-dimensional in a sense. Right. And so, for example, when he talks about, when my dad talks about going to some of the Republican Party meetings or the Republican National Convention, he talks about how there's the log cabin Republicans who are a group of, you know, gay men, openly gay men, and also, you know, Republican and women. Oh, and women as well. I'm so sorry. I wasn't sure if it was a purely just men or not. And you sit, sit next to a woman who's trans at one of the events and all of this other stuff. And, you know, some of these, you just, you don't see a lot of diversity in the media when people talk about Republicans. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know about. My dad was saying too, when we talk about this, there's more people from diverse ethnic and, and backgrounds like that running this year. There's more women this year running ever than ever for a Republican seat, which I think is so interesting. It's just not really covered. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that it doesn't receive much attention that there are there is diversity within the Republican Party? It's just not really being talked about. I think it is a lot to do with it not feed it. It doesn't fit the media's perception who the Republican Party is. And so I think that it just doesn't get picked up. And when you're talking about people who are labeled conservatives, you don't really think of minority or a woman. And it's such a shame because, like I said, I'm part of CWLA, California Women's Leadership Association. 
And it was founded 25 years ago when a bunch of Republican women in Orange County decided to run for local office. And they were told that they should stay at home. And they said, we're not staying at home. We're going to win all these seats. And we're going to create a group to help other women get elected. That was 25 years ago. And we've come a long way since then. And there are so many great Republican female candidates running for office in California, but we don't get the attention that we deserve. And, you know, it's funny because even when I meet people in real life and they look at me and they see that I'm a minority and they see that I'm a woman and I'll tell them the whole spiel about why I'm running and that Brian Mainshine's not a Republican anymore and that I'm the Republican candidate for this seat. And at the end, they're like, okay, great. So I'm going to vote for you. You're the Democrat, right? And it's like they can't get over that preconceived notion or that image in their head that she is a minority, she is a female, she must be a Democrat. And I was recently following Rosa Lissier Ochoa Bogue, who's running for Senate up in uh, the San Bernardino Riverside and Mon Empire area. And if you go on her Facebook feed, everyone says, well, you must be a Democrat. You must be a Democrat. Why? Because she's Latina. And because she's a woman. I mean, what is it that makes us have these preconceived notions about Republican female candidates? And I think it is just a very long perpetuated stereotype, which I'm personally excited to be one of the people who breaks that stereotype and to be the voice for kind of a new awakening of fiscal conservatism and Republicanism in, in the state. Let's talk about a couple of the main issues, which sure. which you so if you had maybe a list of top three to five issues, which you think are the big pressing issues, not just for your district, but for the state of California. What do you think? Well, I think that as an attorney who's represented businesses my whole entire legal career coming up on 18 years now, and someone who has focused on employment law for the last decade. The difficulty of people to... We now know how old you are, <laughs> I'm old. No, 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 no. Believe me, if you're an old priest. What does that make you? Jeez. <laughs> Harriet will have to call me Mrs. Cutter. Because yes. <laughs> She's still I call adults that anyway, even though I am myself an adult. So I do apologize. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a respect thing. I heard you calling Joe Mr. Levin. I know. <laughs> Joe and I are about the same age. Oh, now we know. Okay. Wow, you look amazing. You don't look a day over 30, honestly. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Uh, Seriously. I owe you a drink. (laughs) I'm 41. I'll be 42. We don't have imagery right now, but if you could see it, she has literally the most gorgeous, flawless, wrinkle-free skin. So that's why I'm gasping. You're too kind. No, seriously. (laughs) Well, I think going back to that, like I have been you know, in the trenches with my clients for so long. And I'm a small business owner myself. So the fact that California is so bad for business is one of my main concerns. And I truly believe that pro-business and pro-worker are not mutually exclusive concepts. And as someone who has seen the effects of our continuously progressive labor laws come into play every single year as I update my clients' employee handbooks, as I see the new lawsuits that come on my desk and just see the struggle that business owners have to keep their doors open. Preventing that from happening, or at least trying to push back on the laws that make it so hard to do business in California, that that's one of my main goals. And to talk about how Being bad for business is being bad for the middle class. And nobody really talks about middle class Californians and our struggles to make ends meet, send our kids to college, save for retirement, and kind of just make it on a day-to-day basis. It feels impossible. It does feel impossible. (laughs) It feels like you're living paycheck to paycheck, even if people out of state would consider us to be making a pretty good right. living for ourselves. The money doesn't go very far here in California. I can remember when we moved into Rancho Bernardo. Please tell me how much you spent on your house. No, no, in Rancho Bernardo, you could buy a house. A nice house. In, for 2000 you could buy it for $320,000. Oh buy you, that would buy you a 3,000 square foot 
where we grew up. It was beautiful. Yeah, Bernardo. Now you can't even get an outhouse in Pacific Beach. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, well, my husband and I were recently looking at buying places and we're like, we can pretty much afford San Marcos and maybe some areas of Carlsbad. Like, that's about it. And right. even that's insane. Away from the beach, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. that's very, I, I feel very <laughs> spoiled saying that, but it's, it's crazy. Like you said, well, even when we moved here 10 years ago in 2009, it was a completely different ball game than it is now. And it shouldn't have to be that way. We're overtaxed, we're overregulated, and it's to the detriment, the middle class. And nobody talks about the middle class. We talk about the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, how unfair it is the rich are so rich and how unfair it is that the poor are so poor. But guess what? Most of us live in the middle and nobody is talking about us. And nobody is talking about the fact that we pay so much in taxes and we put so much money into our education system and it's failing our kids. And as a parent with two kids in public school, that's one of my main areas of concern. So obviously, I know you have a group called Moms for June. You started, I mean, your involvement kind of in the the world of not only government, but the, I, mean, I guess government, technically the PTA, very, very political, it feels like <laughs> at certain times. A very special kind of job. Yeah, right. But you really, and this is what my dad initially said that made me so interested in having you on the podcast. You've really figured out how to, because I, I told him, obviously you're a man and a dad and it's different. I'm not a mom yet, but I, I obviously have one as, as, as everybody. Nothing is stronger than the power of a mom on a mission. Like I firmly believe that. Right. Who are motivated for their children. I mean, it's the women who have a, they're pushing their car off of them and their kids. <laughs> mom, is what right. I call it, you know? You know, uh, and so how did you go about doing that? Why was it so important for you to harness the power of moms? And what have you kind of seen? Have you seen, you've obviously seen great results. If you could speak to that, that'd be awesome. Well, I think that moms really can do anything. I was self-employed when I had my second kid. I had a C-section. And as soon as the doctor cleared me to walk, basically, I put my kid in a Bjorn and I took him to work and he slept on me while I lawyered. Yeah. So that is mom's strength. Right? <laughs> I love it. And then I think also of just running for office and sometimes in the morning when I'm up at like 545, packing lunches, doing laundry, picking out my kids outfits, brushing their hair and doing all of those things. Sometimes I think, are the male candidates doing this? Are the dads getting up and wondering where their kids' homework is before they go to make their finance calls for their campaign? Can I jump in and and say something just speaking to that really quick? One thing I was going to ask you, and then I realized this is like my preconceived media bias. I was going to ask you, how do you balance being a working mom and running for politics? And it went off again in my head. Nobody asks a man that. Nobody ever asks a man that. So I don't want to ask you that. I don't (laughs) think that should be anything. You, You work. You obviously went to law school. You have a flourishing career and you're also a mom and you seem like you're crushing all of that. So I'm not going to ask you about work-life balance. I think that needs to just be taken off the table when talking to women. I think regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, there are people who are just able to do more in a day versus other people. And I have always been that kind of person. My Beyonce has the same number of hours in a day. Beyonce has snacks in her purse for her kids. Yes. I have always been like this. This is just how I'm built. When I was in law school, my roommate would be watching TV on the couch and she'd be like, are you going to sit down? Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever lounge? I'm like, no, I think I could bake like two dozen cookies right now. And I think I could, you know, clean the bathroom and do X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, organize everything in a perfect tabbed fashion on my law school binders. It's just how I'm built. And it's probably why I was able to kind of turn it all into a professional organizing business too, which I do. Okay. That's also your small business. I did not know that. That is so fascinating. I'm like Marie Marie Kondo Kondo. and Martha Stewart had a baby. And that's not. I love that. (laughs) It sparks a lot of joy. I I love that. (laughs) Martha Stewart, even (laughs) post-prison. She prison like a boss. She did. She came out of there with her crocheted sweater. She did. Talk about mom power, right? (laughs) So the power of moms. I've always thought that moms get a lot done. Stay-at-home moms, working moms, we all do a lot. I will quite honestly tell you that I'm a working mom because I can't hack it as a stay-at-home mom. I went on maternity leave with my firstborn daughter and 14 weeks at home with her broke me. And I said, I'm coming back to work. (laughs) But 
You know, moms just do a lot every single day. And I think that we are so emotionally and mentally invested in the future of our children. And there is no power stronger than a mama bear caring for her cubs. Oh, yeah. And when I decided to run for office, the people who were around me when I was was making that decision were moms. And we all care about what the future of this state is going to look like for our kids and their kids and future generations. And because I knew that I felt this way and all my friends felt this way and... Quite honestly, Brian Mainshine's opponent last election cycle got pretty gosh darn far on her power of moms on the other side of the aisle as well. And I thought, why not? And all the innovative ways that we've been campaigning that you've been so kind enough to praise, Randy. Let's talk about it. The song. (laughs) When I saw that, I just thought that was really cool. My dad's a big fan of like. And and, 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 you know, one of the things, you know, as as a secretary of the California State Party, I'm looking for innovative people who, who can represent the party. And, and, and for me, you know, I want to get all you innovative candidates together in a room and say, this works. Here's how you have to message. And, and they're like, you know, I think cool. that where I was going with that is that I've been doing the PTA thing for a while. Our fun run at Del Sur Elementary makes over $120,000 every oh, year. That's insane. And, you know, we've always, we're always fundraising for our school and our kids and trying to come up with ways to make money to, you know, buy books and have a yeah. teacher and all of that. So it's kind of like I'm approaching it from more of my... PTA slash sorority girl background. I love. I love it. Yeah, but we need to. Okay, what are some of the songs? You don't what have to sing. What sorority were you in? First of all, I was in Pi Beta Phi. Oh, okay. I don't think they have them at UC one. Irvine. Very cool. And we're all. Well, we are doing um, a lot of things. I have two playlists now. Nice. But the first one is called "Break Up with Brian" <laughs> on Spotify. Spotify. Okay. And Apple. I'll Music. leave the link in the description. <laughs> I did it on both platforms because I know some people are not Spotify people yeah. and some people are not Apple Music people For but sure. some songs and some people are, like, are not either but <laughs> and they pretend they are but that's okay Sorry. and some of the songs on it No Scrubs by Keith <laughs> nice. um, Truth Hurts by Lizzo oh, love it. <laughs> I, like that. I actually know Lizzo he thought her name was Fizzo <laughs> no I never yeah, did. I never thought her name was Fizzo what are you talking about and Problems by Ariana Grande of course yes Lots of good songs. I think it is attractive to various age groups. The college Republicans love it. And then there was this funny banter about Christmas on Instagram. So I made a June Cutter Christmas mix. Love it. I love it. (laughs) Basically, I've decided that I'm going to trust my gut. And if I think that it is a creative, innovative idea that my friends or my neighbors would respond well to. I've just been kind of going with it. And I mean, my whole organizing business, I built pretty much off of word of mouth and Instagram. And I've been pretty social media savvy. My Love whole it. Life, my whole life since it was created. <laughs> so I just haven't been very fearful of taking risks. And just because somebody tells me how it's always been done, I don't assume that it's right. Because if the way that it's always been done had worked, we probably wouldn't be in super minority, mega minority situation right now. And if my goal is to make the Republican Party cool again, if my goal is to kind of change the face of who we are, then I think I do need to take risks. And I do need to try to come at it from a more, I guess, commercial standpoint. You yeah. be right. You and be best. Like I said, at the very beginning, I don't consider myself a politician. I'm not selling myself yeah. as a politician. I'm trying to get people to relate to me so that I can better educate our community so they know what the assembly actually does and why our taxes are high and why we have so many regulations on housing and industry and why businesses 
are suffering in California because a lot of people just assume that's the way it is, yeah. but it doesn't have to be. They don't question it. You know yeah. what I mean? Let's I mean, we assume it's yeah. the sunshine tax. Um, yeah. Right. Let's talk a little bit about what's it like to run a campaign and maybe tell us some of the things maybe you expected and you didn't expect from, uh, from running for a campaign. I, I mean, I mean, we, we are, are now, what's today? Uh, uh, December 16th, I yeah. guess. Is that right? So, so we're we're a little bit three months, four months from the primary. Well, like here. eighty days. That's and so California. crazy. And, and and as a candidate, you're you're <laughs> literally. I've, I've been a candidate for a various position, and you're literally watching every day because that whole cycle is important. But can okay, maybe tell us what have you learned? What was expected? What was not expected? And you know, right. what do you think? Well, I don't know if I had any preconceived expectations because I never thought that I would run for office. So it's not like something I dwelled on. I just jumped in and went and accepted things as they come along. Um, like a mom. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Well, you know, when you get that baby, you don't know if it's going to be a sleeper or not or non-sleeper. Right. In football, you're calling audibles over time. That's what it is. But... I think I expected it to be kind of nasty and I expected people to say things about me that might not be true. And those things have happened, but how do you deal with that? If you give advice to other people, like for example, my dad can't handle a lot of criticism in terms of our podcast. He takes it very personally. <laughs> I One <don't>, person <laughs> how do you recommend dealing with something? I say that the best way to deal with that is to not clap back to basically just let it fall off your shoulders okay. because you're not going to win an argument like that. It's yeah. just going to make it worse and you're going to feel worse at the end of the day when you engage. And if people want to say things about you that aren't true, then basically you just have to prove them wrong through your actions and not engage. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Keep it positive. No, that's what he I always says. He says he puts really I'm say. trying really hard to run a very positive campaign. People are really sick of the negative nature of politics, the divisiveness. I have often said that I am here to identify the issues that unite us, not the politics that divide us. I love that. That needs to be embroidered somewhere. You know what I mean? (laughs) Have you seen Parks and Recreation? I have. This reminds me of the Leslie (laughs) Note campaign. Yesterday, I just texted (laughs) someone and said, I'm the Asian Leslie Note. 100%. 100%. No, I call myself Leslie Nope all the time. Be the Leslie Nope of everything you do. But when she talks about not wanting to get into a negative, nasty, like smear video, and instead she just uh, talks about, we both love dogs. And that's just what comes to mind and it reminds me of. I mean, I try to balance that without being too naive. I yeah. understand that I'm running against an incumbent and we're going to have to like get our hands dirty eventually with the primary only 80 days away. And sure, that's part of politics. We're going to say nasty things, but I don't want to be the one who's being directly nasty because I don't think it has to be that way. I think that we can do so much more with kindness and empathy and uniting people. See, this is what every, like, this is what everybody should be saying. A hundred percent. No. Yeah. I love that. That's we phenomenal. just need to find a hundred more of me. And right? Me. Oh my god! <laughs> we even have an army. Imagine like the power of things that could get done. Outside of your business, you know, your business interests, your ego, and your family, what do you do on a day to day basis? In- Outside of yeah. all of those, <laughs> of well, sweeping and, and eating, but, I mean, one of the interns that works on my campaign said I should like do a blog. Yes, a day in the life. Yes, People would love that. No, but like. I'm like, I don't even have time to live my life, let alone vlog it. <laughs> yes, true. But I didn't um, to follow you around the camera for a day. Right. Well, today, as I was making sandwiches for my kids' lunch at six o'clock, I'm like, should I really be vlogging this right now? I have to Yeah. No, people <laughs> want to see that. They want to see what really goes into running. Because people tend to think, you know, when they go into run a political like, campaign, it's going to be, of course, it's going to be fun, but glitz and glamour. And it's not. There's so much hard work that goes into it. Right. You know, that's not glamour. I think the glitz and glamour probably wear off after like your 10th event. Yeah. But I, I don't mind events. I enjoy talking to everyone who's interested in my campaign because I really feel like I'm not running for me. I'm running for San Diego. I'm running for District 77. I'm running for the Republican Party, the Republican donors. 
the volunteers, the interns, like all of them come together as a group that I kind of feel like I'm just here to serve you and represent you. And if you want to talk to me about anything, I want to be there to talk to you too. And because they're all issues that I'm passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. Like, sure, I'm tired. Sure, I'm always on the go, but it doesn't feel like I am necessarily working at something. There's been a lot of sacrifice with not being able to fully do either of my jobs professionally, but I am so lucky and blessed to be in situations with both where I have the flexibility to, you know, hit the pause button and go and run a campaign. And there's also my family. I'm so lucky that my mom lives in Poway and can help me with my kids. I'm lucky that my husband has a flexible schedule and does a great job taking care of the kids and making sure that they get fed and shuffled off to their activities and all of that stuff that I think not many people have the luxury of being able to sustain their jobs while they run for office and have a supportive partner that holds the fort while they run for office. And I'm just really lucky to have both things kind of come together. But um, every day is a little bit different. Meetings, calls, fundraising is a major component of running a campaign. So just on the phones all all the time. Isn't Um, it exhausting talking on the phone? (laughs) By the way, you don't realize how tired you are until you're done for the day and you're like, I, I spent so much time. I don't want to say anything else for the rest of the day. I'm so tired. But yep. yeah, it is like, it's a lot of time on the phones. It's a lot of time on your phone, yeah, texting just- or emailing a lot of time in front of a screen, trying to capture data or research things or just become as knowledgeable as possible about everything so yeah. you can run a meaningful campaign. I'm constantly brainstorming and thinking of ideas, creating graphics, which I do a lot on my own oh, and nice. kind of, you know, doing the social media yeah. aspect of it too. So it's like my whole entire day, yeah. except the little pieces I've blocked off for my job and my kids, yeah. it's campaigning all the time. Is it going to be a Democrats for June or an Independents for June or anything like that? I don't know if they've gone that far, but I feel like there is a lot of support from decline to state voters, especially, and even Democrat voters who understand that I can relate to them as a mom, as a community member, and not all Republicans are made equal and not all Democrats. 100%. One thing I just wanted to say too, my dad and I have argued about this before because obviously I can't imagine this when... Um, we have a show. <laughs> no, that's not what it's about. It's about <laughs> respectfully having conversations. But the guy who... Uh, what was the name of the guy who we were just talking about who switched parties? It was a big scandal. You tweeted about it and you're like, I can't believe... Guy? Yes. What was his name? Chad Mays. Yes. Yeah. But I... I liked his statement that he came out and said, and this is something that I obviously it could have been total BS, obviously, but this is something I firmly believe. And I, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, but I think you should vote for a person, not a party. And I think you should evaluate each candidate as they come based off of whose interests they represent, but also how you align with their values and what they're standing for. For example, as a Democrat, I absolutely adore Jim DeBello. I'm definitely going to be voting for him. I know he's a Republican, love Joe Leventhal, definitely going to be voting for him, but I'm still a Democrat. I just feel like their values and all that stuff align. What's your opinion on that? Do you believe that you should vote for someone just because they are a Republican or are a Democrat and you are too? I think I am one of the most party loyal people. Really? I know, but (laughs) I still agree with you. Okay. So I don't think that every Republican is going to suit every Republican's taste. Yeah. I don't think every Democrat is going to suit every Democrat's taste. Yeah. And I think that there are plenty of situations where I could think of people not necessarily voting in their party lines because the other side seems to be more appealing to them. But that doesn't mean you leave your party either. No, I think that there is kind of a delicate balance between being part of a party and committed to a party and not necessarily liking every single candidate that the party brings to your ballot. Let's talk about politics at home. So your immediate family and your parents, so it's all Republicans pretty much or it's a mix? Um, it is a mix. So my parents are Republicans okay. and I'm an only child. So my side of the family is very 
right leaning and all tied up in a nice little bow. (laughs) My husband's family, extended family is a mixed bag. My husband is actually not a Republican. He is declined to state Uh like 35% of Mm -hmm. District 77, which everyone's so surprised to hear because he's a military guy and they would assume, oh, you're the more conservative one in your relationship. That's That's so strange, but... I am. <laughs> no, I mean, and, you hear that all the time with military people too, saying like, oh, I feel just, yeah. So I, I, I mean, what the question was going to was. Do you guys ever get into it politically, I guess? No, I, I'm. How do you handle that? Okay. <laughs> Family B, part of our show is really about. Right. I, I, I mean, how do you. I, My I husband's do, declined to state, but I think we pretty much agree on 99.9% okay. of things. And I would say that his parents are both conservative, but his sister, his only sibling, and her husband are left-leaning and also a military family, but a left-leaning military family. So it's kind of a mixed bag at Christmas. Last Christmas was interesting. We'll see how this Christmas goes. If you need any help, listen to our Thanksgiving video. How to deal with family members on Thanksgiving (laughs) without wanting to kill each other. 100%. Luckily, I'm the only lawyer in the room, so the only professional debater. Right. <laughs> this guy, I swear, and I don't know if you're the same way, loves to argue, just thrives on conflict. I want to throw up. I don't do well with conflict. He just like, oh my God, just gets so excited and just comes out of litigation. I don't sure, know sure. if I thrive on conflict, but I really <laughs> like to win. You have that switch in your head sometimes as you come in. <laughs> that switch was off. What do you practice? If you're I do business litigation, but mostly employment defense. Oh, that's a tough one. That's yeah. definitely that. But that's interesting, though. Did you always know you wanted to go into that area of law? No, I actually went into that area of law kicking and screaming. Really? But it turns out that I'm really passionate about it. That's awesome. And I think one of the reasons I'm so passionate about state politics is because I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. How legislation comes down and actually impacts our businesses and their employees and ultimately all working families in California. So I think that the work that I do professionally has really contributed to the passion I have for what I'm doing running for assembly. I'm asking about a couple of state issues then too, because and we want to know how much time we have no, 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 this no. Too. Oh, sure. We want our listeners just to have a broader understanding. So homelessness. Right. Everybody's talking about it. Joe Leventhal, we, we touched on it a time. We just heard from, well, like the LA Times did an article the other day, 60,000 homeless in LA last year. You know, you know, they, they said 1,000 died on the streets and everything. Oh. So, so what, but. Well, Joe is very knowledgeable yes. on homelessness and I am in awe of his grasp of the topic of that policy issue. I think that I'm in agreement with Almost everyone in the room who believes that homelessness is not just about housing. It's about getting to the core underlying reasons of why people are homeless. And one size does not fit all. You're not going to be able to solve this problem just by coming up with one solution. It has to be a varied set of solutions for a varied set of problems. And I think that we have to approach it with kind of a place of empathy for our shelterless neighbors who have come upon hard times or have a substance abuse problem or a mental illness. And you can't just expect it to all go away with one simple solution. You have to be willing to work with people and their circumstances and what brought them to homelessness and what solution will work best for each individual. And sure, that's not easy. It's a very daunting task, but it's not just about housing. It's about the person. And we really need to start addressing that. And I'm really proud of the fact that San Diego has a decrease in homelessness while other major cities have seen a soaring increase in homelessness. Oh, I think Mayor Faulkner is doing a, a great job in terms of his, what was it? It was this, it was like a safe parking program that he initiated with safe zones and lots. And he said that the main purpose was to, to help families get back up on their feet. And I guess so far it's been about 60 families that have been able to. And, but as you said, that's such a different issue from someone who just happened to maybe miss a payment and they get their lights shut off, but their lights get shut off and they're then evicted. And then they can't get another place because they have an eviction on their record and all that kind of stuff, you know, right. circumstantial. Whereas you have someone who's an addict and they go through and they have a quality of life infraction against them, which they don't pay, then they're then taken to court, which is Mr. Leventhal 
Joe Leventhal said, it was those are seen in traffic court, for the most right? Part, where those people are not equipped to sentence, you know, or or deal with people that are mentally ill, drug addicts, right. all of that kind of stuff. So, like you said, it's a very all encompassing issue that has kind of multiple prongs and all that kind of stuff. Well, like Mayor Faulkner often says that you may think that you're doing the right thing by doing X, Y, and Z, but true compassion and truly caring for people is not letting them just be on the street. And he's come up with a lot of innovative solutions to help people. And I think that because San Diego has had a mayor like Kevin Faulkner, we've been able to implement solutions that other cities have been unwilling to do. You know, he has, I think it's, the city has implemented uh, like a storage program where you can store your belongings. But just think of that little step and how much it will help you to not have to worry about your belongings when you want to go and interview for a job or try to do X, Y, and Z for your kids. And just that one little piece the empathy for people and the concern for helping people get back on their feet, giving people a hand up rather than a hand out. Ooh. I think that is that's a good, that's a good quote. So great. <laughs> and if more cities could follow our example, I think it would it would go a long way for homelessness in California. Just two two quick things and we'll I already fed them dinner, so we're good. We typically have a Hey Gavin section, which is for advice for Governor Newsom. I wanted to to throw in something because June's a mom as well. But do you you have something that you specifically... Let me do Hey Gavin first. Okay, go ahead. ahead. So but but any advice for any succinct advice advice for for Governor Newsom? How about, hey, Gavin, why don't you listen to people who've actually worked in the private sector before you implement policies which are adversely impacting the private sector? Because all you need is a couple of those big companies to leave California and you're done. Right. Snaps for June, like we're in storage meeting. <laughs> no, so I wanted to ask you too, and obviously this is a whole touchy subject and we don't need to get into big detail about Gavin and everything with uh, SB 276 and the whole mandatory right. vaccination stuff. I don't know if my dad's mentioned to you or if it was mentioned before on the podcast, but my sister actually was vaccine injured as a child. And so the kind of the mandatory vaccination laws and all that kind of stuff it kind of takes away. We're not anti-vaccinated. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I will vaccinate my kids, but my sister actually, we found out she has a specific genetic mutation, which caused her to have a bad reaction, Mm -hmm. epilepsy, all this kind of stuff. But basically she wouldn't have been able to have attended public school with these medical exemptions uh, back then if if this bill would have taken effect. What do you think in terms of, because you talk a lot about letting, you know, parents have more say in what happens in a kid's school and what you're teaching your kids and all that kind of stuff. So I just love your take. So I think that um, first, I vaccinate my kids. And if you gave me a list of vaccines tomorrow, my husband and I would probably decide to shoot them all in our kids. So that's where I'm coming from. But I don't think that the choice I make has to be the choice that you make or anyone else makes. And I think one of the major problems with 276 is that it is just obscene government overreach. And it's not about vax or anti-vax in my mind. It's about personal freedom and individual liberty and parents' rights. And I totally cannot see how I could tell my friends who do have vaccine-injured children that they have to vaccinate their child. I can't imagine having like a four-month-old baby, seeing the baby have a seizure after getting a vaccine and having the state tell me that I have to put another vaccine in my child. Or they come to public school. Like, that's crazy. I mean, and to be a taxpayer and yeah. to pay money into the school and not be able to benefit yeah. from that, there has to be a better solution. I understand the argument for vaccines, yeah. but I don't think SB 276, to me, is a vax or anti-vax issue. Yeah. It's about the government wanting it to be a nanny state and tell every single person that you all have to be one size fits all, that you all have to do the same thing and that you all have to live your life the same way and make the exact same choices. That's just not right. That's not who we are as Americans. We have to have some room 
for our differences and some room for people to make personal choices and exercise their individual liberty. And really, if you look at how many children are vaccinated just in our local area versus the number of people who are seeking exemptions, it is a very small number of kids and they are being targeted by this law. And it's breaking mother's hearts and it is creating a situation where people want to leave the state. And it's just very sad because I think it brings a lot more harm than it does good, regardless of whether it's a vaccination issue or otherwise. And the number of moms that have come to me and the number of moms who have actually joined in support of my campaign or the campaign of any Republican legislator in California because of this one issue shows you how much the left is pushing to left and how much government overreach is overreaching. And I think that these issues, when they get pushed further and further and further progressively, will cause people to take notice and have an awakening of how they're going to protect their families and their rights in this state. No, I I respect everything you said 100%. I, yeah, sorry, I get upset about it. Um, because I'm a big Democrat, obviously, big believing heart liberal, but I, this is something that has sadly become a bipartisan issue. And I just, it doesn't feel like it should be in a sense. It should just be about protecting kids and acknowledging those that have been vaccine injured and not saying, Oh, that's crazy. You know, I think this is one of the prime examples of special interests getting their hands into government and turning an issue that shouldn't be partisan into an issue that is partisan to the detriment of the people of California. No. And it's one of the examples of why our government is so broken and why we need to change it. Did your opponent come out and say anything about it or not? Nothing. Not at all. Oh, no, he did make he did tweet about um, not about this bill in particular, but about vaccines in general. And he tweeted about saying that uh, I'll I'll link the specific tweet down below because I did research on this. And he basically said, oh, all these anti-vaxxers are going to cause another outbreak of polio to come on and just kill all of us. It's like. That's not Which what people are saying. And flopping well, today. no, I, I think one thing is too to remember is that everybody who is anti-vax was once a pro-vaccinator in a sense. They just happened, well, most I would say, you know, happened to have an, uh, an injury that occurred in terms of that. Like I'm vaccinated, I'm definitely will vaccinate my kids, but it shouldn't be something like you said. No government should tell you what you should and shouldn't put in your body. And I saw that that was also something that you have on your, your site as well. You know, you are against government overreach in all aspects of you know, society. And I, I, I it's not one size fits all. No. Nobody can tell someone what they should do with their vaccine injured infant until they're faced with the situation where they have a vaccine injured infant. You yeah. can't dictate how people are going to live their lives, especially when you've never been in their shoes. The same goes for operating businesses. Yeah. Most of our legislators in California have never really worked in the private sector, have never run a business, have never made a payroll, have never looked at what a P&L looks like. Profits and losses. (laughs) (laughs) But it really is about how do you govern over something that you have no true personal understanding of? And given that, why do you feel like you have the authority or some kind of superior knowledge over the people who are living those circumstances every single day. That's the whole issue of, as you said, the nanny state. And, and, you know, as we know, most government agencies shut down at 4 o'clock or 4.30 if we're lucky, maybe 5, some of them. But, who, you know, if there's a nanny state, the the nanny state shuts down, who's the best person to take care of your family member? It's the parent who's there 24-7. You hope it's the parent. (laughs) Unless <laughs> your parents, you know, yeah, drinking or yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. But but you look, you know, we we, we, we yeah, I know, I days and hours and all but, day. Honestly, but, but you're is there anything that you'd like to tell our our listeners? Where can people find you? Uh, What's your website? Do you have any events coming up? Potential right. voters. Plug anything yourself. else about you? So I would like people to know that I'm here to unify our community, not divide it, and to be a voice for working families and working people throughout San Diego County and throughout the state of California. My website is junecutter.com. Which is an awesome last name, by the way. <laughs> it's amazing. It's not my maiden name, so I get credit for it, but I married well. And 
Speaking of events and your love for my playlist, we're actually doing a Break Up with Brian party. <laughs> it's called Break Up with Brian, a District 77 divorce party. <laughs> That's awesome. And it will be on the anniversary of his party switch, January 24th. Ooh, that cuts deep. I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. And you can find that info on my Facebook page or my campaign Facebook page, with it, which is June Cutter AD 77. June. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank for you for having seriously. This was on so behalf, much fun. On behalf of our audience and our, our podcast and us, thank you again. For seriously, you are the most fascinating person, yeah. honestly. And I love, <laughs> I love what you do for moms. I love what you do for your speaking out for kids and just everything like that. And I think, and I'm very willing to admit, I definitely, based off, I think, of media perception and portrayal of what a Republican is or what a Republican looks like, maybe it's just the Lincoln Reagan dinners I was attending for a long time. I did not see a lot of diversity, but it's just really wonderful to know that there are people like you in the Republican Party that are out there fighting for everybody and looking to be inclusive rather than, you know, divisive. So thank you. Well, for, thank for you. I really appreciate you reaching out to have me on the podcast and for the opportunity to tell you more about me and my race. And I really appreciate it. So thanks for having me. Of course, thank you.